0: Just cut out processed foods if you want to be healthy. It's an easy throwaway line loved by nutrition wellness influencers on social media, but such advice shows naivety for what happens to food in its journey to our plate. Almost everything you eat, to some extent, has been processed, and not all processed foods are bad for the body. Now, nutrition researchers are better defining the world of processed foods, and here it is the new term of ultra-processed foods that you'll be seeing used more in the future. In this podcast, I look at what defines an ultra-processed food and explain how they are now recognized for the unhealthy addition they make to your diet. Welcome to the Thinking Nutrition Podcast. My name is Tim Crow. And I'm a career researcher, educator, and science communicator with most of this spent in the field of nutrition. How do you make sense of so much conflicting information in the field of nutrition? While I don't profess to have all the answers in an area that is continually changing as research changes, you can count on what is covered in this podcast to be based on the whole field of nutrition science, not just selective areas that support a particular way of thinking and this podcast will always be free from any commercial product tie-ins, endorsements or advertisements. Just credible nutrition science presented in plain and simple language and then translating this in what it means for your health. So on with today's show. Think the key to good health is just to cut out processed foods? The term processed food may seem like a dietary demon that we need to avoid, but it is a concept that has little meaning and it is very unhelpful in informing food choices. Almost everything you eat is processed to some extent. Even cooking food is a form of food processing. Unless you are eating only fresh fruits and raw vegetables, raw eggs and maybe raw fish and meat, then there is little in your diet that could be truly described as unprocessed. A much more helpful concept is to divide food into categories based on their degree of processing. So think more of food that has been minimally processed and it is still close to its natural state in appearance and nutritional quality. Here it is all about fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts, milk, fresh meats and legumes, the sorts of foods featured in dietary guidelines. And against that, we have foods we should be most concerned about, ultra-processed foods. Ultra-processed foods are industrial formulations of food-derived substances that can contain little, if any, whole food ultra-processed foods often include ingredients not commonly used in home cooking, such as flavorings, colorings, emulsifiers, and other additives. A key feature of ultra-processed foods is that they are usually appetizing and pleasing to the taste buds. They're convenient, sold in large packages, and highly marketed. The category of ultra-processed foods emerge from an attempt to classify food by its level of processing, by the NOVA food classification system. NOVA is a system of food organization created by a team of nutrition and health researchers from the University of Sao Paulo. It is now recognized by global health agencies including the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization and is used by many researchers globally. And I'll link to a document that goes into greater depth about NOVA in the show notes. NOVA categorise food products by the extent and purpose of food processing as a proxy for the food's nutritional and environmental characteristics. The NOVA system clusters foods into four groups, and I'll go over those groups. The first group are foods considered unprocessed or minimally processed. These are foods characterized by having undergone minimal processing, which may include drying, pasteurization, cooking, and chilling. Examples of foods in this group are fruits, vegetables, nuts, meat, eggs, milk, legumes, pasta, whole grains, and rice. Then we have group two. Group two is called processed culinary ingredients. These are characterized by foods that have gone undergone some processing to make products that can be used in cooking foods from group one which I just spoke about but in itself these foods are not meant to be consumed by themselves so here we have things like oils, butter, sugar and salt. Group three are called processed foods. These are characterized by being made up usually of two or three ingredients and they're usually made by group two substances added to naturally or minimally processed group one foods. So think about if you get a group one food, which are fruits, vegetables, nuts, meat, and so on, and you add a group two food, which is a processed culinary ingredient, oils, butter, sugar, and salt, you typically come out with something called a group three food, which is what are characterized as processed foods. So typically these foods are minimally processed, but they've been preserved or made more palatable. The sorts of foods in Group 3 are preserved fruits and vegetables, canned fish, cured meats, cheese, fresh bread, beer, and wine. And then we have Group 4, which is the ultra-processed foods. These foods contain little, if any, intact Group 1 foods, and they've undergone multiple industrial processes, and they contain many added ingredients, with usually at least five or more ingredients added to them. Colors, flavors, emulsifiers and other additives are often used to make the products more palatable. So what are some examples of ultra-processed foods? Soft drinks, sweet and salty and fatty packaged snacks, confectionery, mass-produced baked goods, cake mix, margarine and other spreads, sweetened breakfast cereals, pre-prepared processed meats, chicken nuggets, burgers, instant soups, packaged desserts, energy bars, and a lot of other foods. Probably no surprise, a lot of these foods are what we consider fairly discretionary food. So it's these ultra-processed foods are really what people talk about when they talk about processed foods in general. But the NOVA food classification system defines them much more precisely. So what sets ultra-processed foods apart from other foods is the extent and purpose of processing. Ultra-processed foods have a higher level of processing that changes the food and often stimulates overconsumption. Ultra-processed foods are designed to be appealing, convenient to consume, and palatable, so are more likely to displace the consumption of healthier, less-processed foods. The convenience of ultra-processed foods can mean people may choose them over foods that are more healthier, but which require more preparation, time and effort before you can eat them. A diet high in ultra-processed foods can mean people lose their skills and interest in making healthier dishes for themselves. Ultra-processed foods also produce higher profit margins for food companies, which helps fuel big marketing budgets, further competing out interest in less processed foods by the consumer. Ultra-processed foods are a big problem in the Australian diet, with these foods contributing to over 40% of Australians' daily energy intake. These foods are also key drivers of excessive added sugar intake among all age groups. So you can see how much of a problem eating too many of these foods can be. Ultra processed foods are the types of foods that are overrepresented in the list of discretionary food choices. Such foods are not an essential part of a nutritious diet. Now, nutrition and health professionals around the world are linking these foods as a major driver of overweight and obesity, while also contributing to non-communicable diseases such as heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and certain cancers. A diet high in ultra-processed foods is linked to a greater chance of weight gain when eaten over the long term. A recent tracking study of over 6,000 adults in the United Kingdom, which I'll link to in the show notes, found that over eight years, people with diets high in ultra-processed foods were more likely to be heavier and have at double the chance of becoming obese, compared to people who ate the least ultra-processed foods. The more ultra-processed food a person ate, the greater their chance of becoming obese. For example, for every 10% increase in the consumption of ultra-processed foods, the chance of becoming obese rose by a disproportionate 18%. Then there was a study from Spain spanning over 7 years, which also found a link between ultra-processed food consumption and health. And I'll link to this study in the show notes. A higher consumption of ultra-processed foods to the extent that it made up a third of a person's diet, was associated with a higher risk of earlier death. Poor diet is linked to many chronic diseases, such as obesity, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and some cancers, so this likely explains why people were dying at a younger age. Scientists are now looking deeper into what may be so insidious about ultra-processed foods that link them to weight gain. In a small but important study, which I'll link to in the show notes, 20 people in a controlled inpatient environment spent two weeks eating either a highly processed or unprocessed diet. They then spent the next two weeks eating the opposite diet. While the degree of processing between the diets was very different, the kilojoules, sugar, fat, fiber, and many other nutrients were identical. It was only when people were eating the highly processed food diet that they gained weight, almost one kilogram in the two weeks. And this weight gain was entirely explained by them eating a greater volume of food. Why did they eat more food when on the ultra-processed food diet? It seems because they tended to eat faster, potentially not allowing enough time for their body to signal to their brain that they were full. The NOVA classification system of ultra-processed food, though, is not a perfect guide, and it does have its critics. Not all foods in the ultra-processed food category need to be shunned, as some of them can play an important role in providing nutrition. Infant formula is just one example. And while there are many poor choices on the market, some breakfast cereals are a good source of convenient nutrition. This is not surprising, as NOVA classifies foods based on the extent and purpose of food processing, not by the food's nutritional merits. As a concept, though, grouping foods according to their degree of processing can be a useful guide to their likely effect on health. So, at a public health and policy level, it is a useful tool to help guide consumer food choices, inform food labeling changes, and allow industry to work transparently in reformulating food into healthier and less processed ways. The NOVA classification system is seeing a lot of use by nutrition researchers and international organisations, but it is unlikely you will find anything related to it on food packaging in Australia anytime soon. But with a bit of knowledge, you can apply the principles of NOVA to see which category a food would fit into. This is where becoming a food label reader pays dividends, especially as most ultra-processed foods come in packaging that needs labels. Look at the ingredient list of the food and ask yourself if all these ingredients would likely be found in a home kitchen. If the ingredient list is long and many of the items don't sound like food you would buy off the supermarket shelf, then that is a strong hint that you are looking and an ultra-processed food. Most of the food we eat is processed to some extent, but it is only the foods considered to be ultra-processed that we should aim to eat less of. Eating food as close to its natural state as possible, making food from original ingredients, and choosing a wide variety of mostly plant-based foods are the keys to eating a healthy diet. So that's it for today's show. You can find the show notes either in the app you're listening to this podcast on, if it supports it, or else head over to my webpage at thinkingnutrition.com.au and click on the podcast section to find this episode to read the show notes. If you find this podcast of value, then please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, or maybe even leave a review. This all helps increase the ranking and reach of the podcast which means a big win for credible evidence-based nutrition messages while helping to dilute out the crazy and making the world a slightly less confusing place. I'm Tim Crow and you've been listening to Thinking Nutrition.